Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Hi, I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett and I designed the Penile Rehabilitation Program to help men recover from prostate cancer. It's an online program built on decades worth of knowledge and experience and practice. It's the only one of its kind in the world and it actually works. So if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and want to get your penis working again as quickly as possible, and why wouldn't you, then visit penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you'll be off and running. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day. All the best with your recovery, which I promise will never be as bad as you think. November 11, 11am, 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall. In the pub, in the tab, in the cars. Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today, I'm very excited because we're talking to the principal of Body Curious, who is men's yoga, massage and sexological bodywork. Uh, John is a qualified Thai yoga massage practitioner, a massage teacher, trainer and yoga teacher. And he is also a sexological, that is such a hard word to say, <laughs> bodywork practitioner and educator. So today we're going to talk to John all about what Body Curious is and what his practice does and whether or not it might be suitable for listeners out there. He has over 30 years experience um, in lots and different industries, particularly in hospitality in Australia and overseas. And through all of that, he got to understand people very, very well. He had an accident in 2008 that gave him 15% of his body permanently impaired. And through this rehabilitation program, he found yoga and has regained the majority of his movement. And he's now discovered the benefits of Thai yoga massage and sexological, see, still can't say it, body work. (laughs) So we're going to find out all about it today. And hopefully John knows how to say it and he can tell us exactly what it is. So welcome, John. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Now, I just can't remember who told me about you. One of some very, I think it was a lovely patient of mine told me about you, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, was it a psychologist? I'm just trying to remember now. Um, I remember I remember who it was. It, I, it was a, I think it was one of my clients um, who told me, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, anyway, I think it might be the psychologist. Yeah. Uh, but 
it, it'll come to me in a moment, but at the moment, I'm not sure right now. I can't remember. I should yeah. I should recall that. But, uh, somebody that called a long time ago. We've had yeah. lots of cancellations. <laughs> we have had lots of cancellations. So yeah. tell us about what Body Curious is and what you actually do. Absolutely. So Body Curious, um, as a result of me being uh, hit by a car and being 15% whole body permanent impaired, I obviously had a very long road to recovery and I was told that I'll never move my arms past my waist. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. I will get there. And I did. But I did it through exercise physiology, but primarily yoga. And I, it took me nearly five years. And to celebrate the fact that I got most of my impairment back, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm able-bodied, uh, with just a couple of small, I can supinate my left hand and my right arm isn't completely straight, but I can do yoga. So I practiced yoga, studied yoga, and I thought, well, you know, I'll just do it to maybe give back to some people with some disabilities like me and maybe it will help. And I started advertising, you know, trying to ask everyone to come along and I ran out of friends. I ran out of <laughs> I ran out of anybody who cared and people who didn't care. And uh, I think I actually even found someone an app. <laughs> and I ended up getting people who say, "Yeah, look, can I um, can I pay you? Can I pay you for classes?" And at that time, I was a consultant, um, and I used cleared out some space in the front of my studio and uh where we are now and uh i did some classes so that one day i just said that's it i'm going to rip everything out of my office i threw all the furniture out and i started uh the studio and uh after six months no women came or actually two two had registered after six months we had female teachers nobody wanted to come so <clears throat> only men so we ended up saying, right, this is a men's space. So this is, sorry, uh, can I just say that is amazing because every yoga class I've ever been to is predominantly women. So ten percent was... of men are the only uh, people who do yoga, um, a majority women, with only about sixteen percent of men. So how is it that you attracted all this male group? I have no idea. Just the universe meant it to be, and you know. I've been in business now for 33 years, self-employed. Mm. In 33 years, I realised that, you know, it's like relationships. If it's too hard, it's too hard. If it's going to work, it just happens. And it just happened. And, um, yeah, we didn't, even if with female teachers, uh, we couldn't attract women at all, which is extraordinary. So I thought, right, I'm going to start naked yoga. <laughs> Let's do naked <laughs> yoga. Let's go for the jugular. Uh, Cloud yoga is was not very popular. Funny about that. And what wonderful way to help men access their bodies uh, is through naked yoga. Uh, and we've it's a wonderful. I get a lot of uh, referrals from psychologists over the years uh, for body consciousness because it helps people with body dysmorphia to connect with their body. But also being a somatic practice. It engages with the breath and movement and sound and touch and place awareness, which is the fundamentals of embodied practice. So the yoga studio was born and we did naked yoga. 
So from the outset, you did naked yoga for men only? I did clothed yoga. And then I actually, my first yoga class I'd ever taught was at um, a naked yoga studio. <laughs> wow. And are we talking completely naked? Like the goonies hanging out, everything's just all out? Completely. Pure, natural bodies, totally authentic. That's amazing. You know, I, I think there is one in, there is a naked yoga studio in Perth. I believe you're in Perth. Are you? Yeah, so I have to check it out. There's one. There's a women's one, I believe, in Perth. Really? I'm just thinking, uh, I don't think I've ever been to a yoga class where someone hasn't farted in it. So I'm just wondering <laughs> if the person behind the downward dog farter. But anyway. Well, we, we actually have people facing each other rather than having <laughs> them. Good idea. So that my, it was my first yoga class was uh, 20 naked men, and that was quite fabulous. So I thought, well, you know, I had a good relationship with the other yoga studio, naked yoga studio in Sydney, and I thought, you know, I asked him, do you mind if I do a class? He said, not at all. Let's do it. Let's keep it going. So it's quite a big movement around the world, and it's growing. Um, so I started that, and it, and then I slowly put other teachers on to you know, because I couldn't do it all and the studio built. And then I people wanted more. So I um, we started doing uh, I started I studied for uh, Thai yoga massage and I got to the point of being a certified teacher so I can teach teachers, which I do from time to time. And we started the massage and now we do various different modalities of massage. But the Thai yoga massage is, again, a lovely somatic experience because the client is experiencing their whole body being opened up, stretched, um, and they're connecting with those five pillars again, the breath, the movement, the, the touch. They're, ex they're using their breath, which is sound, and they're finding place of awareness. And as you know, as a sex therapist, one of the biggest problems is finding people to be present because anxiety is going through the roof at the moment mm -hmm. with sex. Uh, people have huge amounts of anxiety. And, you know, what gets in between us and having a good time is usually anxiety. Yeah. So we need to come back to learning how to feel, how to breathe, and about just being in our own bodies. And I think that's the wonderful thing that naked yoga does. And also the Tiger massage helped a lot. But then we were also then experiencing people were coming and saying, yeah, look, I've got, um, you know, I've, I'm struggling at the moment with this or that issue. And many times they just don't want to go in the first instance to a psychologist. They want to get, they just want to have a, a segue before they see a psychologist. And so the problem might be, for instance, someone might have came up to you after a class and talked about erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation and things like that. Or? More around emotional issues. Um, I think a lot of in those days it was a lot of it changes. It's like, you know, as you probably see with your clients, uh, it changes with demographics. It changes. It's almost seasonally adjusted, <laughs> uh, and and it changes ages, uh, issues, um, even. Um, races and socioeconomic it it just keeps on evolving um, it does. I've goes through these well. these it takes and sometimes it takes a client you know some time to process a session somebody will get, have it done process it in a couple of days mm -hmm. so it depends upon where we're at so the sexological body work was 
a great opportunity to bring all of the things we've got, the yoga, the massage, into a very, very beautiful somatic experience. So, so for the listeners, sorry, can you explain the word somatic? Sure. Explain that somatic, somatic is of the body rather than the mind in the exact What's going on here? Uh, sorry, the exact um, uh, the exact meaning is somatic adjective of or relating to the physical body, especially distinct from the mind, soul, or psyche. So it's very much of the body. So somatic means of the body, sexological body work. So we work with the body. Mm -hmm. I'm also doing some uh, further. Um, ongoing professional development in um, in uh, somatic experiencing, as you know what that is, um, and um, and I've been working with trauma for some time as well. So uh, embodied embodied counselling, somatic, all the somatic elements to bring people into their body, and the difference with sexological body work to other forms of um, like tantra or sex therapy or is the fact that we um, have uh, an association um, which is the the SSEAA and uh, it, which is the Somatic Sex Educators Association of Australasia and I'm on the uh, board and the the SSEAA has created a very strict code of conduct. Okay. Say, for instance, with tantric practitioners, they're only allowed to do talking. They're not allowed to touch. We carry um, medical indemnity insurance to be able to deliver touch practices. Okay. As long as we, and we must abide by the code of conduct, which is quite strict and, incl and including we wear gloves, for genital touch, we, we it's one-way touch. We keep people in a container, in a capsule. We um, obviously there's that restriction about any romantic sort of connection, which we don't do anyway. Yeah. And um, and and the so we've we're able to work in an area that most other practitioners can't. Hmm. So explain so, to me if a man came to you for a session of sexological body work. Sex bot, call it sex bot, it's easier. That sounds so much easier. Um, so if someone was to come to you for that, then how would would that kind of like go? How would that consult yeah, go? What sure, sure. Well, first of all, I always have a, a chat to them on the phone to to assess where they're at and, and whether or not it's what they're looking for or not. So I don't want. I, I'm. I'm very much about believing in maintaining the expectation. We don't want to get people in and find that it's not what they're expecting at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I explain the boundaries and the consent and 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 our code of conduct and all of those sorts of things, which are really important because some um, practitioners don't have those sorts of boundaries, which is really important because it's also sets us apart from other pra practitioners of the kind like Tantra and those sorts of things. And it also makes people feel safer, I suppose. Well, it's all about safety and agency, as you know. You know, yeah. this is a, we're working with sometimes 
highly traumatized people. Mm. Um, many clients come directly from psychologists, um, specialists, men's doctors, uh, psychotherapists. So we have to make sure that they have safety and agency and that they know how to communicate their needs, which is one of the biggest issues that we all face, particularly with sex, intimacy and pleasure. Yeah. So typically the first session would be getting to know the client. Fundamentally important. We need to have a chat to them. Sorry, I'm going to introduce you to Joe. She's just turned up. So this is John. He's telling us about his amazing sexological body work that he does. It's incredible. So keep going. Okay, a sex pod. (laughs) Sex pod, we're calling it. It's too hard to say the other. It's a lot easier. So, yeah, look, the first session essentially is getting to know the client, to build a relationship, for them to get to know who we are, for us to understand their history, their background, and um, listening, mm-hmm. asking questions. And at the end of, by the end of the session, unless it's a one-off um, and somebody has a specific issue or challenge that they want to address, um, the majority of clients probably want to do maybe two or three sessions. So we need to teach them the foundations of embodied practice. Mm-hmm which is about learning how to build a relationship with ourselves. And the biggest challenge that we have is that a lot of people have never had a relationship with their own body. Most most guys have a relationship with their penis because they've been playing with it since they were born. (laughs) (laughs) As we all know, we all love our penises. You know, there's actually ultrasounds of babies playing with their penis in utero. But anyway, that's another story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Isn't that... That's just so fabulous. And when you say to people, you know, what we talk about masturbation and we talk about, you know, what do you touch? And the only thing they talk about is their penises. Yeah, yeah. And and, and rarely anything else. Mm-hmm. So as we, the body keeps the score. So we need to, if we don't use it, the, the body decides that it's not that important and we often end up with, challenges like erectile issues and um, ejaculation control issues because we jump into anxiety around a lot of these things so the the more in connect in touch with our bodies through touch and and starting to activate the neural pathways of the brain to find pleasure in the body rather than disdain or or nothing numbness it's just really really important because then once they've mastered that, and I've had to dumb it, dumb it down for, or numb it down, I should say, for men, because men are really bad at doing things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for, for any, for, for building any regular um, practice. Yeah. So I do a, a very short practice for them just before they go to sleep. Mm-hmm. We call that mindful touch. And when we get to the self-pleasuring or the, masturbation piece i call that mindful play okay removing so, removing the agenda of masturbate of, of actually having to come but really more around finding pleasure in the body overall okay that sounds good and so do you just do this with men or do you do it with women as well i i specialize in men yeah uh, okay. i will i do work with couples okay 
Um, I work with uh, trans, yeah, trans men. Mm -hmm. uh, I have worked with uh, vulva owners. However, I specialize in what I understand because at the end of the day, the female anatomy is a lot more complex than for I'm I'm much more I'm a specialist with men's bodies right. whereas it's yeah, I think yeah. you can these days it's best to know what you know and do what you do and do it well rather than trying to be a special a, a jack of all trades I think yeah it's much yeah I agree with you totally that's why so, I specialize so do people go so what sort of a patient would come to see you for this is it someone who has body dysmorphia or someone who feels unsatisfied in their intimate relationships or what sort of a person do, do you help? As, as you know, the spectrum of sex, intimacy and pleasure is vast. <laughs> yeah. So, look, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, initially people would may come to me because of anxiety or they may be referred to me because they're unable to get an erection. Mm-hmm. They're unable to come. Right. Okay. Is that okay to use that sort of language? Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep, definitely. Uh, they may struggle with. Um, they they may struggle with um, ejaculation, ejaculation control, rapid ejaculation. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the option is, you know, they can have a pill, mm. or we can teach them how to resolve that issue and become multi-orgasmic which is fab fabulous because then they've not only got over that but then they can experience extreme pleasure through having being able to have multiple orgasms and choose if they wish to ejaculate or not yeah so, so if they, you think about the gamut is quite large a lot of people with underlying trauma mm -hmm. so we've got to then have to unpack that to a point where we understand, well, what are the issues and then move forward on a different road, a different pathway, but knowing that that is still there because we can't ignore the trauma because it's always going to be there. But we can change the neural pathways of the brain so that they the relationship with that situation can start to change because they can learn how to regulate with breath. They can learn how to embody themselves they can feel safety and agency so there's a lot of various different things i've listened to one of your podcasts talking about peronies talking about um uh, challenges with anal sex uh there's uh, which is very common i mean mm -hmm. it's just simply because people have been looking at porn all the time yeah the two, yeah. The two issues we have today are really, uh, it depends on the demographic, but right now I would say anxiety and body dysmorphia. Yeah. Particularly yeah. in the 20s to 30s, the, 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 the Ys and Zs are really struggling with this. Yeah. Um, and Instagram and porn are the biggest culprits. Yeah, I see so many young men um, that are really struggling with they've, their only experience of often seeing other naked men is on pornography. So they feel as though there is something wrong with their body. And like literally it will be a, a case of me sitting down with a book called 101 Penises and showing them that actually porn doesn't have very realistic penises and theirs is actually quite normal. 
And that's all they need is reassurance to sit down with someone and have a look and go, look, this is what the gamut is and there's nothing wrong with your body, you know. Yeah, and I'll just add to that. Um, Melissa and I work very closely with a lot of younger patients. They're getting younger and younger. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think, you know, I remember sitting in a lecture way back, probably eight or nine years ago, and there was one mum that put up a hand and asked a question. It was a, a question from a young psychologist who was delivering a program at the local high school. And the mother asked what she should do about her 11-year-old son disappearing into the toilets for hours and then on end with his phone. And I was quite gobsmacked that um, she had even permitted that behaviour because I said, look, I've got three children as well and they're at the time I think they were 16, 14 and 12, two boys and a girl. And I said, look, I'm I'm a rare parent, but I haven't let my children go anywhere near an iPhone until they're 16. They can have a little analogue phone, but they don't need to be watching pornography from, from age 11 because that's what's happening in that, that toilet. And um, another situation, a colleague's um, 14-year-old child was at a private boys' school and um, he was one of many receiving, um, as we'll say, dick pics from um, another uh, mate, he so-called, in exchanging them with uh, a female, except it turned out to be a a pedophile. Mm. And so these 14-year-old boys were sharing this information amongst their schoolmates, not realising that they were actually interacting with a 63-year-old. So there was this absolute highlight to me of um, parental supervision and the recommendation was for us to get to know what our children have got on their phones to make a contract with them and to always have the phones open without these passwords blocking them so that there was the emotional capacity and resilience to have conversations at any time that that was available to the parent as well. And everyone was quite aghast. I remember the parents were like quite shocked that the recommendations were to sit down and know what your children were being exposed to, whereas to me that was common sense. And I, I seemed like I was the only parent in the room of about 200 that had an attitude towards let's wait for our kids to be emotionally more mature before they're exposed to these somewhat vulnerable situations. But that was only because I work in the health field and I was aware of these situations in my patients and colleagues because we we openly talked about it. But um, I feel like... You know, we've got to be really in tune from very early on. And um, I had a, had another chap the other day who said he felt like the age of innocence for his 19-year-old, nine-year-old daughter stopped the day she turned nine so, because boys and girls sort of have different levels of maturity beyond that and um, I think, expectations uh, in their peer group. It's, so, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that I always say to, to men that have children that have 10 or 11 because generally the shame starts around 12 being caught and this shame is there forever and this is one of the biggest issues we've got to um, work with because shame is such a big problem Uh, penis shame religious shame socioeconomic shame uh, racial shame it just is huge and it's it's trauma. It's almost trauma. It's mm. so bad. And so, John, when so someone comes to you for their initial consult, you you get to know them, and then you talk through what what it is that's bothering them. And then it sounds as though you give them activities then, like that they can go home and practice. To well, we talk through that through that through that session. We talk about it's conversation. We talk about masturbation. How often do you masturbate? What do you watch porn? What 
do you touch? How do you engage with your body? And if somebody doesn't feel comfortable about talking about these things, well, that's fine. But generally, people, the purpose of people coming is to try to resolve where they're at. And a lot of it comes back to childhood shame. Um, uh, understanding just simple things about they've been shamed about their penis. Um, you know, the average penis is five to seven inches. Um, that's funny about penises. We always measure in inches still. I don't know why everything else is in, in, in metric, but penises are inches. Um, so that is, you know, and there's a lot of issues around that that people carry for years. Um, we talk about masturbation. We talk about um, childhood masturbation. And, and sometimes we need to take clients back to the 12 year old, the 11 or 12 year old, and teach them to connect with themselves without shame, mm -hmm. to be able to engage with their bodies. When my son was around 11, 10 or 11, I gave him a little hip flask. I said, Are you masturbating? What are you doing? Yeah. And he was, oh, Dad, wow. Don't talk about that. Don't what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and I gave him a little hip flask of oil and I said, Look, I want you to explore with this but not just your penis, your whole body, just yeah. learn to connect with your body and it's, but don't feel shame about it. Just enjoy it. Well, I think it's really interesting. If you look at the statistics of the Netherlands, where they teach openly about these subjects in school, they have the lowest teenage pregnancy rate and one of the lowest STI there rates go, yeah. in the world because people are encouraged with self-pleasure and understanding what actually goes on instead of it just being no, no, no to everything. And I recall my mum having to um, go to confession as a Catholic child for impure thoughts <laughs> and give oh. those to the priest. And, you know, there was a priest probably, she was 12 and he was, well, she was 19 even, like he, he was, you know, having many young women and people coming in and, raising this and there was so much shame so much shame uh my mum went on later on to reverse all of that by studying social work and trying to normalize the conversations herself so we as kids had a wonderful education that was very open in contrast my husband was raised as a greek and he got a pamphlet put under his door when he was 16 and that was it that was the sex lesson <laughs> and so you know you have all these cultural differences it's really illuminating isn't it Absolutely. My father was a, a minister of religion back in the 60s, and he um, he was not really liked that much <laughs> because he, he was all about education, sex education. Right. He had, he ran father and son nights. Wonderful. My mother did mother and daughter. He wouldn't marry anybody unless they had sex education lessons, which he sort of. He was very progressive. And, and that's right. And he was very much about inclusivity, regardless of, of, of denomination or anything else. It was about everybody is part of this community. And that's what mm. we need to accept. I mean, I see men in their 75-year rage and, and they can't masturbate, can't self-pleasure because their mother might be watching. Mm. It's a very, very big problem. So bringing people back to that, you know, teaching people how to sometimes crawl before they walk, go back yeah. to learn how to crawl. Learning how to find pleasure in your body unashamedly because it is difficult. And, you know, if you look at um, heterosexual porn, boys look at heterosexual porn 
and all the a lot of boys look at they look at everything but they often they go to heterosexual porn and they learn that that is how you treat women and heterosexual porn is quite violent mm. um as opposed to say gay porn it's different but still it's all a fantasy it's not real so i tend to um, encourage people to read erotic fiction yeah i do as well write their, my... to write their own erotic stories to look at images to learn how to shut down that visual cortex and learn to imagine read listen to audible or whatever and learn to connect with the body as you're listening and enjoy pleasure play because this is what we're losing is play I think if we could just play instead of thinking, we wouldn't have the problems that we have today. This reminds me, John, of a really wonderful case that I was very impressed with Melissa's counselling on one of our um, mutual patients that had a pornography addiction and he hadn't been able to have um, any ejaculatory function for quite a while, but he was struggling to relate to a human body because of his the wiring that had changed through his nervous system for watching hardcore porn. And he was very depressed and very black. And Melissa encouraged him to go on a Kentucky tour. <laughs> and that enabled him to have a break from his pornography addiction, Thank his you. work. And then not only did he go on one Kentucky tour, he went on two or three. And he's come back with a new girlfriend. And yeah. he's he's a different person from just playing, mm. playing again. And you know, that was the best medicine I've probably seen Melissa prescribe <laughs> no seriously Melissa, yeah no. because that is that is what it's all about it's about not because when you're um you know you see somebody having watching uh pornography um they're generally if they if they can't have sex without watching pornography they generally have a porn addiction mm, um, the they can't is- get an erection without pornography they they've got a porn addiction and it's mm. extremely common and i did see it a Netflix documentary at one point, there's children from the age of eight, you're coming back to what you were saying before, with porn addictions. Mm. I think the problem as well is that those younger generations, it's really hard to actually connect in a one-on-one way with people. And I think that's why, you know, going on a bus tour with a group of other young people is like you are forced into a situation (laughs) where you have to connect with other human beings, you know, and and it just makes that happen. And, and you know, they're the kind of things that we did when we were younger that people don't need to as much now. So, so you're talking about, you know, just getting out there. You know, a lot of people don't leave their homes. No, that's right. People are becoming so isolated. The only person they ever see is going to get a coffee in the morning if they're lucky. A lot won't even do that. Oh, I've had patients not leave the home for 17 years recently. I've had clients like that too, or longer, that can't leave the home. Mm. So I try to get them to contemplate just titrating themselves, adding a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, slowly. Gradual exposure. And get out there and, you know, maybe go to a... um, a dance and dance by yourself if you want to, or go to a join um join a group. Just get out there somehow and start to engage with other people because a lot of it is shame. It's fear. It's fear of being rejected. Of a fear of not being accepted is the biggest yeah. issue. Another anyway. thing, John, that I'd be interested to know if you help with is I see quite a lot of couples where. They've met when they're younger, so they're middle-aged now. They've met when they were a lot younger and they had that 
you know, whole flush of limerence romance in the beginning and then they get partner up, you know, permanently and end up having children. And then the children grow up and one of the partner, often the man, but sometimes the woman, feels like it's not just enough anymore just to have intercourse. They actually want a more intimate connection with their partner and they feel quite lonely because of that, like that lack of intimate connection. And I think often when I speak to couples like that, the other side of the partnership can't really see the problem because they think of intimacy as sex rather than intimacy. And you're saying it's normally the man. Yeah. It's often the man who wants the connection, I find, and they're quite lonely because they feel like they don't have that intimate connection. And it's difficult to, I find it really difficult to articulate to the other partner of, you know, actually what he's asking for is not more intercourse. What he's asking for is more intimacy. And, you know, that's a, a difficult thing. So I'm imagining from what you're saying, that is the kind of, of couple that you would be able to work with. I would probably suggest firstly that they need to work on themselves individually mm -hmm. and they need to learn to build a, an intimate connection with themselves. If I said to most of my clients at the first time they come in, you know, may I touch you? Mm. How could I deliver some pleasure to you? Um, and they'll all say, yeah. And I'll say, where would you like to go? Anywhere at all, anywhere. But no, no, one specific area. What would you like me to, would you like me to touch your hand or your stomach or your head or wherever? Um, so they eventually pick a place. And then we talk about, you know, do you like it harder or softer, faster or slower? How would you like it? Because I think one of the issues we have is that we don't know actually what we want. So if we don't know what we want, we can't ask for it. Mm. And, and so intimacy needs to be playful. We need to learn how to play and connect with ourselves. And we need to understand that both people, and they have to be accepting that it's okay to self-pleasure without being triggered. Yes. <laughs> so say, for instance, I might have um, a, a, a partner, a male partner that um, needs to do his homework. Uh, his his wife or partner will get really offended by that. Mm, yeah, so what's yeah. to do? Go to the bar, go to the shower, or mm. lock himself in the toilet. It's about him growing, and you have to go through this process. And it's generally a fear that they're being rejected. Yeah, and it's not about rejection. It's about growing and exploring and being that finding the 12-year-old boy yeah. and, and the, same with the woman. Yeah, I agree. And I think also it's a lot about that we all enjoy doing different things on our own and with other people and, you know, sexual pleasure should be no different. There's different times for different things and, it, and we shouldn't have to feel guilty about that. But communicating your needs mm. is the biggest issue we have in a relationship because people don't know how to talk. They don't know how to communicate. I'm supposed to know what my partner wants mm -hmm. without asking intuitively. It doesn't matter if you've been with them for 50 years. You do not know what they've had, what's happened at work today. You don't know if they feel, you know, like they want to be cuddled or whether or not they want to have raunchy sex. 
it's you have to communicate and this is the big challenge because we don't know how to communicate because it, we think it's wrong to communicate and it's something that we need to learn as individuals to have a healthy relationship without shame or fear that we're going to be made redundant mm-hmm. can i just ask um a couple of questions first of all i've got uh, some teenage children and they've absolutely assured me that the word is now masturbate not masturbate 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 is what all the young people say so i just want to throw that around to you to see if that's a, a sydney side thing either <laughs> masturbate i think I it's, probably a, it's probably a, 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 re, a, re, a, re, a revamp uh, i don't care what how the, how they say it as long as they do it uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as they do it and then they find pleasure we yeah. need kids to learn that if you can, if you were talking about teenage pregnancies, if if boys could find pleasure, unashamed pleasure, there would be less teenage pre- pregnancies. Yeah. And, and if girls could, exactly the same thing. I mean, I've always spoken to my kids. They're now in their 30s and I still talk to them about sex. I think it's so important about, you know, understanding how to explore yourself, yeah. looking at different ways of doing it. And I guess that's one of the things we do in our um, in, in our private sessions and also group sessions is learning how to talk, communicate, and share, uh, and and be playful. I think also, do you find that a lot of people feel really awkward? Like I find it like when I'll say to you know, because I often give people homework of masturbating on their own and masturbating, masturbating <laughs> and um, then they'll come back and go. And I'll say, so you know what works for you now that, you know, that you might like your right ear touched or your left elbow, because they're often surprised when I say your sense, you know, really, you might have a lot of sensation somewhere that you never expected. They'll find it out. And then I'll say, so now you need to like talk to that, to your partner about that. And they'll be like, I just feel so awkward and uncomfortable raising that subject. Shame. Yeah. Uh, have you ever have you ever read, there's a, there's a great book called uh, Out of the Shadows by Walter Dett. No, but I will read it definitely. It, it, it is it is specifically targeted at the gay community. Um, it's sort of like a, a modern Velvet Rage. Okay. If you've ever read Velvet Rage, um, which it's it talks about everything, even prep, um, and it it just goes through different um, modalities as well and how people can access support. But it, it's a very good book because it really does help people understand why they feel the way they feel but this is a it and it comes back to shame the amount of uh, sexual trauma and physical trauma that I experience in my practice is extraordinary Mm. and I'm not talking mild I'm talking extreme yeah and it's terribly sad but if you and I guess the more you are in tuned to understanding and and picking up nuances the more you're able to support people with trauma and help them learn how to regulate it it just doesn't necessarily come out instantly it's something that happens through sessions Um, and somatic experiencing is great because people are learning instead of thinking we're teaching people how to feel, how to listen to their body, how to be connected to their 
bodies, how to feel and how to embrace the way they feel. Yeah. Can I ask a question, just changing the topic slightly? We um, have named our podcast the Penis Project Podcast because penis length was the number one looked up topic on all Google search engines from a sexology conference I went to. Penis, sorry. Length, penis length. Oh, length, of course. And there was not one podcast with the word penis in it when we did our search for what to call ourselves. So it reflects back on that. But I would love to know if you knew of Patrick Lombroso. He had a psychology clinic in Sydney called Man Focused Psychology. And sadly, he passed away of a brain tumour age 51. Um, and he is really why the podcast got going from my point of view, because we recorded him or I personally recorded him in 2017, a few months before he passed away from a brain tumour. But he was speaking this language and it just so happened that I recorded him for three years. So he's on our podcast episodes 50, 55 and 61. I made it the Patrick Lombroso trilogy, but it was all specifically related to men and couples undergoing prostate cancer. So first of all, did you know of Patrick? And second of all, do you ever work with patients with prostate cancer? Uh, firstly, no, I, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm not aware of him. Okay. Uh, I'm excited to listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. good. You'll well, love it. Thank you, thank you for bringing uh, that to my attention. Also for documenting it because it's really important. Um, I work with a lot of men who are survivors of prostate cancer. Uh, it's changed a lot, obviously, with nurse sparing surgery um, and a lot of, um, because one, have, I guess, in a way, I mean, you may disagree, but I think a prostate, a, a prostatectomy is a little bit like having um, your ovaries taken out. It's a bit like a hysterectomy. It's really taking out what you feel is everything about who you are as a sexual being. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think men have their masculinity very much attached to it, the same as as us female vulva owners have our femininity very much attached to our breasts and our ovaries. So, yeah. So I would only beg to differ in that a lot of men don't even know they have a prostate. In fact, I got asked the other day if I had one. <laughs> so I would say the fact that consequences of the surgery and, and the impact on the penis rather than the prostate because I just don't feel men are very in tune with what because they all call it prostrate anyway <laughs> so it's it's an education a language thing as well so I would just put that out there uh, as well it's a lacking essential piece of anatomy that I'm surprised men don't even know what it is let alone have one but it comes right back to that same thing about mm-hmm. poor education mm-hmm. uh, I I have um, I work with uh, clients that have, um, we're actually at part of our um, insurance, we're able to do what we call anal mapping, we're able to do uh, ex- do work internally. Um, and, you know, we have explored, uh, I've, I've seen a number of prostates which have got um, lumps or I've picked up a number of tumours with somebody at one point. He, into the doctor and next day he was in surgery mm. um, but I think a lot of men need to have no most men I would suggest don't have a relationship with their asses no. and I think it all comes down to they're very some are very curious but they've had bad experiences and you do not need to have 
um, there, there's so much shame around yes you know from children it's like don't touch your penis don't touch your bottom because it's all dirty everything is dirty mm -hmm. and when men having oral sex with their with their wives um oh well they can't do that because it's dirty you know and they they have incredible and a lot of women love uh oral sex mm. uh, a lot of men love oral sex Mm. But a lot of men don't get oral sex or women. So no. that is a big issue. But again, it comes back to we don't have a relationship with our bodies. We don't have a relationship with our with our anuses. <laughs> and you shouldn't have any pain should you have any anal penetration, be it a vulva owner or a penis owner's anus. Mm. It can be pleasurable, but you need to learn how to explore it open, <laughs> open that rosebud up because the rosebud is tight and it needs to open up and it can be a beautiful dance of intimacy and coming back to prost prostate uh, prostates I think there's a lot of men who absolutely have no idea because of shame mm -hmm. uh, particularly of course if there's been sexual trauma uh, but I have many clients with uh, that can be multi-orgasmic or can have fabulous whole body orgasms because they are embodied so they can have whole body earth shattering orgasms in their entire body whether or not they can get an erection or whether or not they they they're obviously not going to ejaculate but mm. they're going to have a fantastic playtime mm. fun and that's what it comes down to that happens and, a lot when i teach sorry to buddy in um the male population with prostate cancer surgeries pelvic floor training so I'm a yoga teacher as well so I, I didn't get here for the first part of your um, chat but do you introduce pelvic floor in your body work because um, absolutely yeah. it's fundamental I mean yeah. one of the the biggest issues with all of us man are we're our heads are somewhere else and it's nowhere near our body but <laughs> <laughs> so we need to bring presence so I teach perineum activations um for bringing presence because as they activate the perineum the penis expands and they get wonderful sensations and it feels good and what instructions do you give them so i generally teach them in the early stages as as they're self-pleasuring as they're touching themselves and connecting i try not to attach the word masturbate to the experience because some people really struggle with that so i think uh, mindful play mindful touch um orgasmic yoga whatever you I, want to call it i call it solo self, sex is what i say fabulous, self, fabulous. Self, i love it it doesn't matter what you call it as long as there's no agenda attached i think is really important so as they're exploring their bodies and they're visualizing whatever they want to visualize and they're feeling connecting on the inhalation i just get them to activate the perineum and on the exhalation, I get them to release it. So it brings that awareness out of the head back into their pelvic bowl so that they can feel that connection with their penis. And so, so that they're not focusing purely and simply on the penis, but they can get that connection to the penis without necessarily touching it. So can I just suggest that in my research, I had to, I did real-time ultrasound part of my PhD studies to teach men accurate pelvic floor training and that was a lot based on having to 
work out that there were three distinct muscles with the pelvic floor involved in the consonance mechanism, bulbocavernosus, ischiocavernosus, and puborectalis. But that men had an, a connection to their puborectalis, their anal sphincter, but not to their anterior structures. So when you say lift the perineum, and if I said that to my patients, 100% would know what I was talking about. I teach so, them how to... So so I'm go. curious of your language that you, you use specifically for that. Okay, I tell them to go to the toilet and have a piss. Yeah. <laughs> go yeah. to have a toilet, go to the piss and stop the stream of urine and okay. release it and stop it and release it and stop it because that then isolates the muscle that they need to focus on. Is that correct yeah. in your... So just to maybe help with you as well, the next the next muscle, bulbocavernosus, yes. actually compresses the urethra and lifts the testes. So I say yes. squeeze the front passage and draw the testes up or That's I can right. say lift your nuts, your guts. That causes a retraction of the penis and that automatically activates puborectalis. So you've got three wonderful muscles that can converge if you simultaneously co-contract them. And I just find the language is so critical to the ability for them to, to reach that point of climax, whatever it might be. So I was curious about Keeping how you simple. explain it. Yeah. So what I would say is go to isolated, urinate, stop the stream of urine, and then just lift. Yep. A little bit more, lift your testicles up and just, but not activating your anus. Yeah, or your abdominal muscles mm -hmm. or your. That's right. Muscles. And I do teach anal breathing too, how to yeah. anally breathe, because that's really important for <laughs> people who, yeah. have, I've got to who want to explore more around their anus mm -hmm. and find pleasure in that area. So yeah. anal breathing is the other end. So. <laughs> John, this is amazing, and I'd love to keep talking to you for ages, but um, we have got another person that we're about to interview. So I can't thank you enough. It's been great. If somebody wanted to book a Zoom consult with you, because we have lots of people listening from all around the world, uh, do you are you able to do body work by Zoom? Absolutely. I do. I can do most things by work by by Zoom, um, and I have a lot of clients in um, overseas and interstate. Yeah. Um, that we work with or if often when they're in a, in Sydney um, on business or, or pleasure um, we can see them in studio too um, it's bodycurious.com I'll definitely all, put all the details in the all show all of the information is there about all of our sessions the yoga the massage the sexological body work and um, and there's an FAQ so anything yeah. else there and the, my contact number email and contact number if anyone has any questions yeah and we'd love to speak to you again one day maybe we'd like um i'd like to continue that mm. conversation of anal breathing because, mm. because that is that is a no-go zone for most of my patients mm. in that they don't want to have internal examinations from a physio they don't want to have internal examinations for their dres for their prostate exams so it really is a big issue i'm going to be a little bit playful john i'm wondering if you were a little bit like me a little bit of a um curious one always like to be a bit cheeky what's your favorite planet oh i wonder what that is <laughs> yeah. i'm curious too now is it uranus like me I think so. there's a there's a there's a street in palm springs where the bars are it's a gay strip where the bars are and it's called arena so people call it uranus <laughs> All Thank right. you so much, John. It's been wonderful. I'm sorry it took us so long to actually get it together here so that we could interview you. But um, next year in 2023, I'll definitely contact you again and see if we can interview you more about anal play and anal breathing. But also, if we get any opportunities to do some conferences and things in the future, 
Melissa and I are heading to New Zealand soon. We we might be able to link up with you and do some practical workshops for men because um, why not? <laughs> Absolutely. We're we're here and ever in Sydney. Um, please hop in. And uh, when I get to Perth, uh, likewise. Thank, Thank you. you very much for your time this afternoon. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be yeah. on the Perth Project. That was fantastic. Thanks, John. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Tell you about a boy who lives inside me. It's been there all of my life. Hi, I'm Melissa, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Just a reminder if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer, I've built a penile rehabilitation program just for you. It's an online program packed with information, exercises and advice along with proven strategies that will get your penis back in working order as quickly as possible in about 15 minutes a day. If you like the sound of that, then please head over to penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you can start straight away or there's a link from the RS Health website. We would also love you to review and subscribe and share this podcast so we can help more men. Links to Instagram and Facebook are in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. So spread the word that help is available. All the best for now. Bye. I've got a boy of my own now. It fills me with pride. To see him growing so fast into a man. His victories become mine.